the reason why I didn't succeed in America. Is it, I couldn't say because I'm black, it's ridiculous. Sure, there are issues, there always are. But what we are as black people, I'd like to say, we're overcomers. We've overcome so much. I remember five years ago, I think I told you that what black families wanted, of course, when they were enslaved was number one, to gain their freedom. Number two, they wanted their families to be reunited. And number three, they wanted an education. And education lifted my dad out of poverty. And it lifted me because I can't ride on his coattails. I have to find my own way in this world and education will lift us all. So that's why as a young man, coming to America, took any job he could find, used that money to put himself through school and started his American dream. And now he's comfortably retired. I say we are not victims, we are overcomers, and we don't really need political parties. We just need to be left alone to be what we want to be. And that's not just black people, that's any of, I'd like to say, God's children. You managed the VISTA volunteer program. You ran an educational workshop for business schools. You developed an educational program at Hampton Roads called Work yes. Workforce 27. You formed a coalition of government educators to uh, change the curriculum in public schools, managed the Hampton Roads Education Leadership Academy, you directed the Salvation Army's Women's Shelter in Hampton Roads, that was the best job I had, by the way, because I could see if you're at bottom in a homeless shelter. With the I women can, that were. With the women, I can bring you up. You have to give people hope. That's what my dad got when he came to America, a second chance at life. But what animates you? This is an incredible resume. This is yes. just giving, this is not achieving some big thing in Washington with a big title. You got into the community and you did things and you led groups. It's the civil society that I think is so important. These groups that we form together to get, get things done, mm -hmm. you did that. Welcome to the Bill Walton Show. I'm Bill Walton. Almost exactly five years ago, uh, October 2019, I had an amazing guest on my show, and I found her, and probably a pretty unusual way. She had, I'd received a, a, a direct mail uh, solicitation, and of course we all get thousands of these, but this, this stood out uh, both for its, its, its originality and, and, and also its content. And it was from a group called Black Americans to reelect the president. And I thought, well, that's, in 2019, we were leading up to 2020, and and I thought, well, gee, I really want to meet this person. And so we called her up, and next thing I know, she's on the set. And her name is Winsome Earl Sears, uh, and she came on with Star Parker. And together, they just blew the socks off of the, of the conversation. And lo and behold, what happens, time passes, events. And now we're sitting with the lieutenant governor of the great Commonwealth of Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> Here we are, Bill. Here we are. Five years later. And uh, what a saga, because you yeah. weren't running for office then. You, you'd had an incredible career doing a lot of other, you know, community things and been a legislature in Virginia, but you were not a candidate. Oh, no. I was never coming back to elected politics. And in fact, I was, I mean, I wasn't even running for chief dog catcher. I just was pretty much on the periphery trying to get people to get more involved in politics because, you know, the part about of the people by the people and for the people. Well, Bill, this is a very technical term. Y'all are the people. Y'all. Okay. Well, that'll help in Virginia. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, that's true. And, and, and I think you really didn't do identity politics to get elected. I mean, that's mm-hmm. one of the things that you are, you, you, you no. stand firmly against. No. Well, you're looking at someone who people would say, it's impossible that you could be where you are today. Why? Well, because my dad came to America with only $1.75 from Jamaica. And he came 17 days before Dr. King gave his I Have a Dream speech. And so I was at a Martin Luther King Jr. Elementary School in Richmond, not maybe three days ago. And I asked them, do you believe that you can start your life with seven quarters? Because that's what he came with. And they didn't believe me, but that's my dad. And then here I am. He came and got me. And now, Bill, I am, as an immigrant, as a black woman, second in command, in the former capital of the Confederate States. Don't tell me America hasn't changed. Well, you wrote a book that I, as I started into it, I almost, I, I almost, I, could, I was doing the, the Kendall version, but the Audible version is better. You've written a book called How Sweet It Is. And you get, in, get into what it was like to grow up in Jamaica, yes. then move to New York. Mm-hmm back and forth to Jamaica, your family was incredibly mm-hmm. interesting. You want to, I, I think it's worth it. To, to, yeah. Let's go a little deeper than you came from Jamaica. What the? Okay. So my dad came when there were real dog whistles, you know, there were real fire hoses. And what could I tell my father is the reason why I didn't succeed in America. Is it, I couldn't say because I'm black, you know, it's, it's ridiculous. Sure. There are issues. There always are. But what we are, as black people, I'd like to say, we're overcomers. You know, um, we've overcome so much. The separation of our families. I remember five years ago, I think I told you that what black families wanted, um, of course, when they were enslaved was, number one, to gain their freedom, to gain their freedom. Number two, they wanted their families to be reunited. And number three, they wanted an education. And education lifted my dad out of poverty and it lifted me because I can't ride on his coattails. I have to find my own way in this world and education will lift us all. And so that's why as a young man coming to America with just $1.75, he took any job he could find, used that money to put himself through school and started his American dream. And now he's comfortably retired. So I say we are not victims, we are overcomers, and we don't really need political parties. We just need to be left alone to be what we want to be. And that's not just black people. That's any, any uh, of, I'd like to say, God's children. Well, you found your way in the U.S. Marines. Yes. How did you Marine get into, how, how did you go from Jamaica to the Marines? Yeah. Well, so I was getting ready for college. I'd gotten, you know, my curriculum, uh, my books, just, you know, ready for August because I graduated from high school. This early. was when you were living up in New York? When I was in New York, yes. Yeah. I graduated early in January, and, um, and and then my grandmother died in Jamaica, and I went back for the funeral, and I thought, you know, I was just devastated. I, My whole world was gone, and I told my mother, well, I'm just going to stay here and die. And as mothers are wont to do, they always know how to push their children, and so she said, well, if you're going to stay here and die, I've got rules. You've got to do this. You've got to do this. And, you, you know, she had, and I thought, wait a minute, I'm going back to America. Nobody <laughs> tells me what to do in America. You know, I'm 18 and, and I was 17 at the time. And she said, 
and and but I thought, you know, I can't go back to America. I'm still despondent. I just wanted to die. And she just happened to have a jet magazine on her coffee table, an American publication, black American publication. I flipped it open and there it was, the few, the proud, the Marines, that um, that ad. And I said, that's it. The Marines will give me a reason to live. I need discipline and they're going to give it to me. So that's how I got in the Marine Corps. And America had been so good to my family. So well, you ended up as a corporal, which was the same rank I achieved when I was a draftee in the U.S. Army. I think corporals are basically the best rank to have had in the Army, don't you think? Well, mil- it is the range? first rung, after all, on the NCO yes. uh, ladder. And <laughs> in in the Marine Corps, you know, corporals are given so much power uh, because I guess it's such a very young service. So, yeah, and would have liked to have been Sergeant Earl, but. Well, stopped a corporal. <laughs> well, you went on. You were in Iraq. You were in Iraq and Afghanistan. No, that was after I got out. Okay. Yeah. So where were you stationed? I was at Pendleton, yeah. and then I was at Lejeune, and with my MOS, I was a journeyman electrician and a diesel mechanic. Well, that's how you get trained to be an electrician. Yes, yes. Uh, my grandfather had been saying to the older cousins, "College degree is wonderful." but get a trade because then you always have work. And then, you know, he said that because he came up during the depression. So although I now have however many degrees, um, I still, you know, can fix a few things here and there. Well, I've got a, (laughs) you've got a too important job to deal with that, but you became incredibly active an active citizen. You ran, uh, some, some, uh, a lot of community groups. Uh, yeah. What did you do immediately after the Marines? Well, after the Marines, uh, well, I had my children. And, yeah. but you and know, you... I, when I started college, I had three children under five because I remembered, you know, after I'd gotten out of the Marines, I, I thought, you know, I'd always wanted to be an attorney always. And, uh, and, and I didn't want to be 40 and wonder what if I had tried. So, um, I went back to school and uh, for actually two years of my children's life, I don't remember because I was taking college courses all over the place, you know, 18, 20 some hours, you know, even in the summertime, just because I, I felt I was so old and I didn't, you know, I wanted to get to law school still. Well, I graduated and took the LSAT, passed it, got accepted into law school. And guess who didn't go to law school? Because somewhere along the way, you know, my life changed from wanting to, number one, help people and to do good in this world to, you know, so I thought now. Well, you managed a VISTA volunteer program. You ran an educational workshop for business schools. You developed an educational program at Hampton Roads called Workforce 27. You formed a coalition of government educators, military and whatever to uh, change the curriculum in public schools. You... uh, Managed the Hampton Roads Education Leadership Academy. Yeah. Uh, you directed the Salvation Army's women's shelter in Hampton Roads. That was the best job I had, by the way, because I could see if you're at bottom in a homeless shelter. With the I women can, that were. With the women, I can bring you up. It, you have to give people hope. That's what my dad got when he came to America, a second chance at life. But what, what animates you? I mean, this is an incredible resume, and this is yeah. just giving, this is not 
achieving some big thing in Washington with a big title, you got into the community and you did things and you led groups. And, yeah. and it's the civil society that I, I think is so important. These groups that we formed together to get, get things done, mm -hmm. you did that. Well, I think because I saw my grandmother uh, do it, you know, she came from a place of just maybe a fourth, fifth grade education in Jamaica to becoming a landlord. You know, she owned two properties. And mm -hmm. what did that for her? It was education in Jamaica. And even so, she, she, she brought homeless people into our home and fed them and got them adult education, you see. And then she helped them get jobs. And she would feed people on the street. She would do all that. And as a kid, you know, you're asking yourself, does anybody else have a grandmother? You know, why are we, you know, doing all of this? But now that I'm, <laughs> you know, of age, I understand that you don't live this life by yourself. And funny you say that. I was just thinking the other day, and this is not morbid, by the way, but I was just thinking, when I'm in that casket and my eyes are closed, Hopefully, I will have done the will of the Lord, and and I will have not just been here for me, but I will have made things better for others on the journey. Well, you closed your book with that last chapter, the epilogue. Do you remember uh, what you wrote at the end? Uh, not especially. <laughs> well, it's, it's uh, you know, you wrote, um, you know, government can do some things, but can never do everything. People have been finding other gods, I'm paraphrasing. They've been seeking something spiritual. They don't know what they're seeking. Uh, you hear about some celebrities and all the money, um, but it doesn't fill them until they find the Lord. Yeah. And uh, you, you, I love this, what your quote was. You said, you, uh, John Mason said, you're born an original, don't die a copy. There it is, yeah. I'm I'm the only winsome, and I've tried being other people. Yeah, it doesn't work. Well, I haven't met anybody quite like you. <laughs> you're, you're, yeah, you are. But but the the things you did without really these are not glamorous glamorous jobs that necessarily people want to do, and you did them. How did your civil society work make you better at your job as a politician? Well, because the the role of government is of course, I think, number one, to keep us safe. You know, in 1623, America tried this experiment of communism, socialism, with Governor Bradford, and when they came off the Mayflower, the pilgrims. And it didn't work because, you know, um, why should I work hard if the next guy isn't going to work yeah. hard? And they almost starved to death. And so what Governor Bradford decided was, all right, here's the deal. Every man has his own plot of land. You work your land. And if you don't work, you don't eat. That is a biblical principle. It's a Bible verse, right? And, and they lived. They survived. And so what we see today is that where the government back then pulled the people out of communism, today we see governments pushing people into communism. The people don't want to go. Mm. That's the difference. Now, 1623 is significant, of course, because that's the year when uh, Governor Bradford decided, okay, this is not working. But just a few years before 1607 is when the Virginia House of Burgesses started. 
And of course, that's where I was elected to so many centuries later. And it's now the House of Delegates. And it is the oldest serving legislative body in the entire New World. So we had a dichotomy. We had uh, Virginia and we had the case of Massachusetts, what eventually became the Massachusetts colony. So, yeah, capitalism is best. And by the way, for those who say that, well, you know, Jesus was a communist and, you know, they shared everything together. Hold on. Remember what he said to the young man, the rich young ruler? He said, sell everything you have and then come to me. He didn't say, give it all away. Mm. You see? <laughs> <laughs> This is Bill Walton, Bill Walton Show. I'm here with Winston Earl Sir Sears, our Lieutenant Governor of the Virginia, Commonwealth of Virginia. The Commonwealth, thank you. And uh, I can say I knew her when, uh, which is uh, and it's remarkable five years later, she's, she's only gotten better, um, but hasn't gotten the politician's disease. You're still talking common sense. You talked a lot of common sense then. Uh, where do you where do you go from here? I mean, you've been now lieutenant governor for almost two years. And yes. We got an election coming up. Uh, by all accounts, you and Glenn Young kind of doing a great doing a great job. I think your popularity is up. We're about to face an election. Mm -hmm. uh, all one hundred and forty House of Delegates, hundred seats. What, in what's, the House. what's at stake here? I mean, give us yeah. a, a primer on what what's going to be happening in Virginia in November. So 140 seats are up, 100 in the House and 40 in the Senate where I preside. And that's all the seats? That's all 140 of them. Okay. In the Senate, it's <clears throat> going to be a massive turnover because so many of the incumbents either lost their primaries or they're retiring. And it's a, I'm going to be faced with a whole lot of new people. Fully half of them are going to be new. And so it's going to be very interesting. I hope I don't have to wield my gavel too much because, you know, I've had to gavel a few of them down. You are order, order, Senator. So it's, it's, it's interesting. Why do, why do I think you'd be very good at that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm a mother, you know. I didn't know all I needed was a gavel. Mom, can I? Bang, no. <laughs> and then, of course, the House. Now, currently, uh, the Republicans have the House by two seats. In the Virginia Senate, the Republicans are down by two seats. And so it's going to be a win if we're at parity. If we're 2020 in the Virginia Senate, we've won because I am the 21st senator. And what it will mean is we will have better, more proportional representation on at least the three big committees. On the Rules Committee, which if the Rules Committee says 2 plus 2 equals 5, then that's what it is. Well, currently there are 13 Democrats to four Republicans. Can't get anything through. On the money committee, the finance and appropriations committee, uh, there are 10 uh, Democrats to five Republicans. Can't get anything through. On the big business committee, uh, there are 12 Democrats to four Republicans. So if they want to kill anything that just happens to get out of one of the other committees, I've seen them do it on the floor of the Senate. They just say, uh, Madam President and all, for what purpose does the senator from so-and-so rise? To re-refer a bill, Madam President, and bill is gone to one of those three and it's dead. Well, what are we trying to do? 
Glad you asked, Bill. What we want to do is, of course, number. I told you you could come up with your own questions. <laughs> <laughs> what we what we're trying to do is to bring back common sense. And what does that look like? Well, you know, um, we've got to get out of this regional greenhouse gas initiative. It is not uh, good for anybody. Uh, the Democrats, when they had total control, they hitched our energy policy to California. So it's Gavin, News Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, who is going to dictate the cars that we drive, et cetera. And there are all these penalties that come with it. So if you want, by the year 2035, to buy a gasoline a newly manufactured gasoline cars, there will be none. And, 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 um, just and, to make and sure, what year do we, 2035. 2035. And that applies to us here in Virginia. Yeah. So but, this would be in common terms, this is sort of be the electrical vehicle mandate. It is. All right. And, but here's the problem. The, the amount of earth that's needed to produce the batteries and whatever else to power these vehicles at the rate that we're going, digging up the soil, Bill, We've got, I think I saw the reports, it was about 190 some odd years to dig up the amount that we need just, just to replace well, the fuel. Well, I, I had Mark Mills on with Manhattan Institute, and he's, uh. and he's the expert in all this, in manufacturing mm. and mining. And to build, to create one 1,000 pound battery, you need to mine about 500,000 pounds of materials. And it also means we need hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of new mines mm -hmm. all over the world. Mm -hmm. Of course, you know the same people that want to mandate electrical vehicles don't mm -hmm. want don't want mining here. Yeah, they don't want to see so, great big gaping holes oh, in the no, earth. Oh no, not so here. You, you can't have one yeah. without the other. Yeah. So no, it's 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 and 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 also they, you know, the, the battery materials they all come from China. Yeah. So yeah. you're going to wreck the environment mm -hmm. with the with digging with these mines. Mm -hmm. You're going to put our futures in mm -hmm. in the hands of the Chinese. And and some parts of Africa where you see young children are digging for cobalt and exactly. some of these other rare earth if, minerals. If if you care about labor practices, you don't want to be. Yeah. The, the list of horribles is enormous. Mm -hmm. Yet yet here's the Here's the thing. You talk about the greenhouse gas initiative. Well, and that's, tax that's, policy. And tax policy. Those are the big issues. And business and education. There's so much, Bill. Well, but the only thing is that see, what seems to be at, at stake in this election is abortion. Mm. And education's mm -hmm. on the list. Mm -hmm. But abortion looms large in terms of how people yeah. vote, even though that doesn't have anything to do with what the uh, Virginia legislatures should be yeah. working on. Yeah. As Ronald Reagan said, everybody who is for abortion is already born. <laughs> you know, it, it's common sense, right? Yeah. So what we are saying is at least 15 weeks. And why 15? Because the baby feels pain at 15 weeks. Um, what we need to ask the Democratic candidates is, uh, what is what is your limit? Because right now they are pushing, they won't say so publicly, but they're pushing abortion bill up until the day the baby could be born. And in fact, we had a governor, the former governor before Ralph we... Ralph Northam. Ralph Northam, a pediatrician, a baby doctor. He thought it was okay a day after. Afterwards. He yeah. said, well, we're going to keep the infant. He even said infant. He yeah. said, we're going to, after the infant is born, we're going to keep the infant comfortable and then the mother will decide what to do. What are you talking about? The baby's already here, breathing on its own. And not even China is doing this. 
China, by the way, they're at 20 weeks. You know, Europe, they're at 15 weeks. So we need to ask the Democratic candidate, what is your limit? Well, when China, can we China say- radically changed his mind. They have the one, they have one child policy and yes. they're watching their population shrink. And mm-hmm. they've, they've cut that to two child and three child. And then mm-hmm. they're trying to have as many babies as possible. So I don't know that they've got any, well, any, look, any abortion rules at this point. Well, look at education. Uh, we don't have the population uh, of college-age kids to go to college. They're going to face a steep cliff, these colleges and universities are, because we're not having our children. Why? How do you defeat this at the polls, though? Because the Democrats seem to have got the Republicans demonized that mm-hmm. somehow all the young women are going to be taken into alleys yeah. and having you know, terrible things done uh, to prevent them from, uh, how do you, how do you, what, what are the politics here and how do you message What this? we need to do as Republicans is to not run away from the truth. The truth is that the Democrats stand for abortion up until the time of birth. And what does that look like? You've got to pull the baby out halfway, partial birth. You've got to stab the baby in the neck and then you suck everything out. You're looking at a whole baby. I mean, We have to talk about these things. And in fact, when we go to the doors and knock on the doors and talk to the people about what we really stand for, the people say, no, I don't believe in abortion up until the child is born. And we talk about, yes, we support, you know, uh, fetal abnormalities. We talk about uh, rape and incest. You know, we're supportive of that. Well, you've got my vote. But I'm not. I'm not on mm-hmm. the other side. The mm-hmm. other side seems to think they say abortion. Republicans are, mm-hmm. you know, anti-abortion. So therefore, we're going to pull the Democrat lever. How do you? How do you? How do you mess? It's it? just what I say. When we get to the doors, we yeah. have to talk about the Democrats are for abortion up until the time the child could be born, okay. and then you hear at the doors. Well, I don't believe that at all. And we say, ask them what is their limit. And we talk about 15 weeks because that's when the baby feel pains. We, you know, we, we, we support exceptions. As I said, abnormalities and the fetus. We talk about um, uh, rape and incest. But we, we can't avoid it by avoiding it because the Democrats hit us with it all the time. We are the party of life, after all. So... It's now October 24th. The election's November 7. Mm-hmm. And so we've got a couple of weeks. Yeah. When you walked in here, you showed me something yes. I think we ought to look, we ought to talk about. Yes. You know what I have, Bill? Um, we, I have an absentee ballot, Commonwealth of Virginia. It's in my official ballot. You know what this is? This is power. And when you look at it, of course, it's different for different uh, areas. But of course, can we, can we hold that up a bit. I want to get make sure yes, we get a shot it's, of that. Uh, the Senate of go. Virginia, the House of Delegates, the Clerk of the Court, Commonwealth Attorneys, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, School Board, Commissioner of the Revenue, etc., Treasurer. <clears throat> and what this is, I received this ballot bill in September for an election in November, and unfortunately, uh, you know, we say. Virginians are traditionalists. And so we're saying, Republicans anyway, I don't vote until election day. Yeah, but except I've had my ballot for 45 days. And this is how the Democrats are defeating us. They have their ballot sitting on their kitchen table for 45 days. Who's most likely to win, Bill? 
The Democrats are. They are getting their voters who generally don't come to the polls unless it's a gubernatorial election or a presidential election by voting this way. When I signed up, my letter confirming my request for a permanent absentee ballot said, from now on, Winston, you will receive 45 days before every election a ballot for primary elections, a ballot for special elections, a ballot for general elections. Bill, I don't have to do any. I don't have to leave my house. And by the way, just in case, look what they've put. They've put a stamp on it. So I can just take this down to my mailbox. So what are we doing? What are we doing to get people to send those in? What what do you, how what are we, we are marshalling doing, the troops? What we are doing. So as I said, Democrats are getting their voters who only who don't vote during those two times to get this to come to their homes. We found uh, Governor Yunkin and his team uh, found that four no five hundred thousand Republicans voted for us the three of us in 2021, who the very next year did not vote in the congressional races. 500,000 Republicans. They are the people we're trying to reach to say, sign up for an absentee ballot. It will come. Can you imagine if we had had 500,000 Republicans vote or even half of them? That we would have had a different Congress today. We would have had at least two more Republicans win congressional campaigns. So we've got to do this. And the, the governor is having people uh, go to secureyourvotevirginia.com to sign up. And we cannot go into elections any longer. On election day, we're winning. But then as Republicans, we say, oh, but the absentee ballots are coming in. But the Democrats say, oh, but the absentee ballots are coming in. You see? <laughs> Uh, this is Bill Walton. It's Bill Walton. Show. I'm here with uh, Winston Earl Sears, and we're talking about the mail-in ballots, and they're real. They're happening. We're not going to change it. And and conservative and Republicans who want to win elections have got to get with the program and and yeah. uh, and, and jump in and make that happen. Unfortunately, there's a lot of traditionalists that think, well, I'm going to wait, and and waiting has caused us to lose elections. Yes. Yes. Um. It, it it's. But let's talk about ballot harvesting. Mm -hmm. That has a terrible reputation. Ballot harvesting is terrible, terrible. Mm -hmm. But it's legal in Virginia. It's legal in Virginia, absolutely. And, you know, what, what the Democrats are doing is they'll get to the doors and, and they'll have people sign up for a ballot. And then they'll come back and say, did you fill out your ballot? You know, that's what we need. And that's what we've are been we trying. Are we doing that? We're trying to get okay. that Do done. we have we're, the volunteers for that? We're doing. We're I mean, doing the Democrats have paid volunteers. We don't. Yeah. You, that's the other thing. You know, uh, as Republicans, we've always felt if you thought it was a good idea, then we shouldn't have to pay you. But the fact of the matter is that. Not real world. That's not the real world. So we, we've changed. Thankfully, we've changed. But what we also have to do more than anything is to we've got to win hearts. We've got to show the people that we are the party with the common sense ideas. We can't afford to let the Democrats tell our story because they never will. In fact, what they live on is fear. I remember when I was coming back in 2019, I was in Louisiana and I was coming back uh, to the airport in, a, in an Uber and there was a commercial that said, Republicans are going to bomb your churches. I, I swallowed my spit wrong, Bill. <laughs> you know, I thought, wait a minute, what? Is this what we're saying in 2019 and people are believing that? So 
I think there are more people who are conservative who don't realize that they are um, conservative because it doesn't seem like a conservative message, which is you got to get up, you got to go to work, you got to eat. I'm not paying for you. Uh, a good education is what everybody needs. Uh, we don't need political parties to uh, be our saviors. We will save ourselves. Just get out of our way. Uh, we don't need you to tell us how to vote. We know how to vote. But, you know, if our schools are running down and nobody cares about our schools, and it's not just the school, we're talking about the child. Forget about the brick building. We care about the, the life of the child. What about the trans issue? Uh, there's a poll that says that 74% of Virginians, and this, by the way, was in the Washington Post. Mm. Why 74 Virginian, 74% of Virginian voters said that uh, education was very important, mm -hmm. but only 30, 34% said the same about transgender issues. Well, this is it, you know, and, and the governor uh, within his powers, his constitutional powers through the Department of Education has put forward policies that say, we will respect everyone. We will respect the privacy of everyone. We will treat everyone with dignity. Um, but we're not going to have, uh, and they're, he's, he's, they're fighting him on this, these school boards. They're fighting him on this, although these very same school boards, especially, you know, in the northern parts, the reason why they put forward Governor Northam's policies on education was because they said the law said so. But what about Governor Yunkin? Does the law not give him that same uh, opportunity? So parents are saying, I don't want my child, my girl child, to be in a shower with a male. I don't want my girl child to have to fight in a, in a race or a swim meet or whatever or a volleyball game against a male. We see the problems that are cropping up, and we're trying to give parents the opportunity uh, to make these decisions for themselves. But the Democrats, you know, they're saying, no, 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 we, we have the better plans, except that their plan is my way or no way. Well, the Post is telling us that Youngkin's policies are controversial, that uh, students are required to use facilities associated with their gender. Yeah. I, I, saw, I, I saw a recent um, cycling event where the number one winner was a transgender woman. The number two winner was a transgender woman. And the actual woman was in third place. Yeah, I saw that. Uh, have we lost our minds, Bill? Well, in fact, we have. This is ridiculous. I and know. so, okay, great. You've won. You, you're well, we the boy. Win elections. You've beaten the how girl. Do we, how do, are we, I, was, I want to stick with the election. You're, <laughs> okay. I don't understand but politics. But see, this is all part of it. I know it's These insane, but, how do, we, but how, do we, are, how do we get people to vote the right because way? Because we've got to keep talking about these. Okay. Elections have consequences. Right. And if you don't want to see uh, where... Uh, a biological male is winning all the races and beating all the biological girls, then you've got to change how you vote. If you want to be safe in your neighborhoods where we're not going to defund the police, you've got to change your vote. If you want to have education choice where, all right, you, you want to, uh, you know, have these crazy policies, school boards on education, well, then give me my tax money as the parent and I will send my child to a school where they will actually learn something, then you've got to change the way you vote. If you want your tax money back in your pocket and the government isn't telling you how to spend it, then you need to change the way you vote. 
if you want businesses to come to our Commonwealth or your state, wherever you are, then you've got to change the way you vote. Because in our election in 2021, I kept hearing businesses say, we're waiting to see what happens in the election because either we're not coming to Virginia, we're not relocating, or number two, we're not expanding what we already have as a presence in Virginia, or number three, we're picking up and leaving and we're going to places like Tennessee and Florida and, and, and Texas and Georgia. Yeah. We can't have that anymore. How's it look? Well, we think it's looking good, but you know, it's just polls. Uh, the only poll that matters, of course, is. The on, November, on November 7th. On, on well, election day. Well, now and increasingly the they go on for weeks. So we'll, we'll <laughs> well we hope not. Okay. So do we end up taking back the Senate? I believe we will. 2020 at least, uh, you know, uh, and, then, okay. and uh, everything else after that will be gravy. And we're going to see a lot of you if it's 2020. Well, you're going to see a lot of me anyway, because <laughs> I'm, I'm beating feet and, you know, we're running around. So we huh. want to win. We have to win. Not, not just to win but because we can't be at each other's throats. So when you win, Greenhouse Gas Initiative, we got to get yeah. that reversed. Mm -hmm. We've got taxes. What do, you, what do we want to do tax on taxes? Well, we want to make our tax cuts permanent. We want to uh, have additional tax uh, issues that we're looking at. Um, recently, we heard about, you know, Bill, these Commonwealth attorneys, they're not prosecuting in the way that they should. And so you've got uh, criminals on the streets when they really should be behind bars because our communities aren't safe. We've got to tackle that. We've got to tackle some of these school boards. Um, uh, th there's just a lot to do. And, and we've got to, as I say, be the adults in the room to get it done. How much power do you have to change education? Well... If we win, and what do we mean? I mean, we've got the trans issue, which is yeah, a yeah, sideshow in a way. Yeah, I mean, we we've we got wanna... all that lost learning that occurred because of lockdowns. It, it, well, let's say it this way: the reason why we had at least two years of education loss isn't because of COVID; it's because of COVID policies oh, that were right. instituted yeah. by the previous Democratic governor. You know, you couldn't even be out uh, on the streets unless you had uh, an edict by the by the the king uh, well the governor to say that yeah i had a reason to be out otherwise the sheriff when they stopped you you know was, this is crazy what are we in medieval times bill that's what democrats do with absolute power that they had they had control of the governor the governor's mansion the lieutenant governor the attorney general the house and the senate and they went to town they had stupid policies like marijuana was now legal so you could grow it but they said you couldn't sell it. What, what, what? Um, mm -hmm. What do you think they're growing it for? So now you're creating a black market. And by the way, they said you, you, you had to have a license to sell it once we give you that opportunity. There are people on the corner who are selling it already and they don't have overhead. Rent, utilities, you know, insurance. Um, what, what is it? Um, unemployment compensation, please. You think they're going to follow these stupid rules and laws that you've got? And, and you could have up to a whole, just under a pound uh, and, uh, of marijuana, and all you would get was a $25 fine. Well, goodness, a pound of marijuana. Do you know what that looks like, Bill? I took a baggie. I, I do. 
I took a baggie <laughs> um, and uh, to a meeting to show people, and I said, "This, these are weeds," and they didn't hear me. They thought I said weed. I said, "No, no, they gasped. I said, no, no, these are weeds from my yard, just to show them." You know, I mean, Bill, none of this makes any sense to anybody. But I'm saying, with Republicans, you're gonna be safe. Your children are going to learn something. The jobs are going to come here because we'll have policies that will cause businesses to want to come. And people will come. And veterans will stay. That's the other thing. We, we got the chance where now we protect uh, veterans' pensions up to the first 40000 And there, was, there is no age limit. Whenever you retire, you get to keep that. We were losing our veterans to these other states that don't tax their benefits. It was so hard to convince Democrats this was the right thing to do. We have veterans who have federal connections, who have the discipline, who have the training, the know-how. You know, these are no-brainers. This is Bill Walton Show, and I'm uh, here with uh, Winston Earl Sears, and we've been talking for almost 40 minutes about uh, real issues that— uh, both the, the election issues and the election and the issues that Glenn and, and Winsome are going to attack after they win. Um, but we need to bring up the I word now. And it's interesting how lovely it is that we didn't get into it, which is the identity issue, uh. identity politics. I mm. mean, you're supposed to be a black female. I'm supposed to be voting one way or another because mm. you're a black female but I'd rather vote for you because of everything you've been uh, you've been telling me. I mean, yeah. how, how does how does identity politics play right now in Virginia, and what's your role in uh, fixing that, or it, addressing that, or dealing with, or yeah. whatever the whatever the verb is? Well, you know, I had Democrats who wanted me to become a Democrat, <clears throat> yeah. and um, but you know, I I have certain things that I believe. You know, I believe in personal responsibility, I believe, and in freedom. And I don't want, you know, everything is black and white and and all of this. I I just want people to be left alone. And so I like to say that black people are not victims. We are overcomers. We continue to overcome whatever obstacle it is. Think about it. Just, what, 10 years or a little bit before, after the end of slavery, there was Black Wall Street, the first Black Wall Street, yeah. not Oklahoma, but right here in Richmond, uh, in Jackson Ward. We had our own bank. We had our own schools. We had, we had our own businesses because the policies to succeed were already in place, and we did so well that, of course, you know, the other, you know, certain folks got mad and damaged and destroyed and you know, racist, et cetera, and the Ku Klux Klan and everything. But we got our schools and we educated people and we were successful. We can be that. That was not government involvement. There was no Medicaid and Medicare. There was no welfare programs. There was none of that. There were two parent families and we did fine. We can do what we need to do. We just need the government to get out of our way. Well, the 60s, the, the Great Society legislation and then on with Nixon and some of the stuff that he did mm-hmm. um, really wrecked the black community. Well, it's proved positive. Or is that oversimplistic? Well, it, 
you know, when you remove the I've father been from the on home, that. I believe that is that right or is no? That, it's uh, it's true. When when you remove the family from the home, yeah. and then when you say that if you have a baby, then we're going to give you X amount of dollars, you can move out of your mom's home as a teenager. Well, there you have it, and now we have seventy percent of black babies being born out of wedlock. Where are our fathers? You know. We talked about this, and, and a family, in, in a family, a child understands their role in society. The, the first form of government, I would say, is the self-government. The family is a part of that. There's a family unit, and as the family goes, so goes the rest of society. So goes the country. You've got to have... Uh, the child learning how to comport themselves within the family. You learn, you learn about leadership, the good and the bad. You, you, you learn how to, to understand rules, and you learn so much, and, and we see what's happening in the black families. You, you see in our neighborhoods, they're falling down. and In our urban areas, it's, it's just in our education system, it's bad. It's, and and there, are, there are those, though, uh, who say, no, we cannot continue down this path, and we want change, and we want it now. As I said, my dad was so poor, he, he couldn't even afford the O-R, so he was just Poe. He was just P-O. So are you conveying that to the voters in Virginia and the black community in particular? We're, we're doing it, and, and, it's, and it's not just limited to the black community. It's anyone. I think it's if, everyone, but I mean, that's true for everyone. any, those, those virtues, by the way, apply to everyone. Everyone. They're, they're colorblind. I did it when I was a homeless shelter director. Yeah. I did it during my uh, two years of leading a men's prison ministry. And it's the story of my life. And, and you know, I like to, to you know, when I, when I talk about certain things to say, look, if you don't believe that I'm the real deal, if you don't believe that I will serve you, just look at what I've done in the past, and then you'll see that I'm not a Johnny come lately to serving people. So I'm, I, you know, I'm not, politics is where I am today, but I look for the downtrodden to help them, to say, I can do it. I've done it. My family has done it. We were dirt poor, and I can show you the way. Let me help you. Well, I, I'm sitting here thinking you're not even remotely the typical politician. I, I'm thinking of you more as a social philosopher. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> I mean, you're articulating a way of life and um, and values and principles that I think everybody can live by. If we can somehow invest our political uh, uh, agendas with those with those uh, with those values, we all win. Yeah. Well, you know, it is is common sense. It is common well, sense. Let me help you and to succeed. I've yeah. done it. I know how to do it. And and unfortunately, the other side turns everything political. You can't believe her. In fact, I remember a female senator who was black said, said about me in the newspaper to the children, you can't be like Winsome. She's a one-off. So here I am trying to get black children, immigrant children, whoever will listen to say, you can be like Now, why me. would you be a one-off? It's because they don't want the eyes of our community to be open. Yeah, but it's too late because I am out there and I've seen uh, Asian. I remember I looked up in the gallery one time of the Senate and I saw an Asian mom and she 
you know, Albert, her daughter, to say, you can be like her. You can be like her. So it's already even without me saying anything. But I am saying things, and I am in whatever communities to say, let's work. Let's move beyond these, these identities that we're supposedly pushed into these boxes, and let's just get to work. Let's work together. Because, Bill, you know what we're trying to do. Our charge is no less than preserving America for the next generation. That's what this is about. And we're not going to get there if we're calling each other racist, if we're calling each other sexist, if we're calling classism and, and fighting. And, and it's not, we're not going to be that city on a shining hill. And it takes just one generation. And we can destroy ourselves. In fact, that's what Abraham Lincoln said, that if America is destroyed, she's going to have to be destroyed from within. That's how Rome was well, how destroyed. Well, how do we deal? I don't, I don't want to talk. Race is not our, you, you, don't, you and I don't ever really talk about this, but it, it, it's out there. We've got things like Ibrahim X. Kendi and critical race theory and how we're all supposed to be racist. Did you racist. see how that is imploding on him? Well, he's, all a, he's, that a, he's money. been at well, University of Rhode Island. Mm -hmm. what, 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 is that the university? Uh, wherever, wherever he is. Uh, yeah. It's, 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 and, it's yeah. And come to find out, oh no, maybe he didn't believe what he was saying. I don't know. It's been a hustle. It's been a lead. It's been a hustle. Yeah. The thing is a hustle. And, and it's a BLM and all that money. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know PNC Bank gave a billion dollars to Black Lives Matter? Maybe I should set up shop. Is that how Walmart to do it? gave them a hundred million? It's been a hustle. This has been an incredibly corrupt. And, and you know uh, why they did that? Because they didn't want to be called racist. They didn't want to be called white supremacists. They were supremacists. afraid of, uh, yeah. A society built on fear is not where we want to be, Bill. And unfortunately, I think eyes are opening now because you see what's happening with Hamas and you see all of these universities and the colleges and, and we're <clears throat> finally beginning to understand, oh, so this is how it's been. Yes, you've been cultivating a generation and they're not hearing the truth. And so we're hearing about babies being beheaded by Hamas and, and here we have Hezbollah and everything else they're doing and uh, the kids are saying, uh, well, the college kids anyway. No, no, it didn't happen. Fake, you know, you can't, can't believe it. What can you do? And I hope I'm sitting here with the next governor of Virginia. Well, my lips are sealed for now. We have to wait, Bill, until after this election. Well, okay. That's what Glenn <laughs> always says, too. But I, We're working on bringing in the but Senate the, the great thing, and the, the bad House thing bill. about Virginia is you're, you're limited to one term. The good thing is you can say nice thing about the lieutenant governor, not irritate the sitting governor. So you're both doing a great job. Uh, but, uh, you know, how do we... How do we how do you do something like DEI, uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, that's been permeating, you know, mm -hmm. the, the Biden people brought in this whole thing and have made everything about identity and nothing about achievement and nothing about meritocracy. And it wrecks things when you take achievement out of the equation. I mean, what do you, yeah. what do you, what do you do to, the to begin to turn about, the needle there? The sad part about all this bill is that we got DEI in Virginia because of the former governor, Northam, who it, allegedly, uh, you know, they have the pictures in the yearbook and, he, you know, we couldn't decide if he was the one in blackface or if he was the one under the sheets. And yet they're calling me the white supremacist, the one who's trying to help all children of all colors. So 
then, you know, he went overboard to try to prove that he's not a racist, and so we have the policies that we do. Well, what we're trying to do is to ensure that everybody, everybody has opportunity, and that's why I signed on to the amicus brief along with the lieutenant governor of North Carolina, Mark Robinson, to say we're going to support all children to have the same opportunity to have higher, higher education, that we're not going to keep Asian children out and put other children in. You're not going to take the child out, the, the bread out of the mouths of the Asian child to give to another child. We're not going to do that. We're going to make sure everybody has some. But the way to do that, of course, is to make education better. And mm -hmm. so, yeah. And so I was called all kinds of names for supporting that. Bill, we've played these color games. When are we going to learn they don't work? This, they don't work. It's identity politics. They don't work. They don't work. Well, I think you can achieve the high, higher moral ground if we make it about meritocracy. And, mm -hmm. and yeah, it, you know, it, 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 it's wrecked everything because even if you're a person of color and you get a job, you don't know whether you got the job because you were talented or because you were the person of color. Yeah, you're right. You know, and it, it demonized work. And yeah, and that's why I don't like quotas. I remember I was yeah. asked during yeah. my campaign, uh, "Well, how are you going to make sure that we have so many numbers of so many types of people on a board?" The problem is, you start talking about quotas, and the boards will say, "Okay, we need at least one black person." Okay, we got one, and that's all we'll have. And then if you fire that one, then well, we don't need, you know, we don't need to fill that one because, well, we can say we, we had a black one or a woman or whoever, whatever, you know, categories you want. It's nonsense. Let everybody rise. That's why I say I'm hoping that businesses will provide internships, mentorships, mm -hmm. apprenticeships, mm -hmm. you know, opportunities. And we have schools, by the way. Uh, there's one school that I know in particular that in this school you are 300% uh, below the poverty line. And, and so these are very low income children. And the school is geared so that at least one day out of the school week, you go to an in internship, an apprenticeship, a mentorship program. That's the sort of thing that we need. And that's why I want parents to have choice in education. Right now, un unless you have the means or, you know, y you have that choice. School choice is not about rich people. Rich people aren't waiting on some government program to decide where to send their children to school. This is the new Brown versus Board of Education fight. As Miss Virginia, uh, Virginia Walden Ford talked about uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, she's black uh, and, you know, low income, et cetera fighting for her children in D.C., got other uh, parents to say, we want school choice. This is not a white thing. This is not a rich thing. This is an every child thing. And uh, what did she say? She was actually one of the Little Rock uh, kids who were trying to desegregate the schools in Arkansas. Mm. And she said, we were fighting to get in the schools because of what was in the school. It wasn't the building. It was, they had the, the equipment. They had the books. They had all that. That's what we were fighting for, the contents of the building, not the building. Now we're fighting to get out because, <laughs> yeah. because the kids aren't learning. 
Right. And by the way, this is not against uh, teachers. We've no, got it's teachers. never been about bad teachers. It's never been, that's not yeah. the issue. It's yeah, the that's system. Not the issue. It's the structure. It's the. We, it's, we want choice. Yeah. We want what makes everybody better? Choice in education. It works in business. It, here's what they're saying. It, it's like uh, what Ford, uh, Henry Ford used to say, you can have any car, any car you want, as long as it's a Model T. And you can have any color you want, any color, as long as it's black. As soon as we had competition, what happened? Oh, things changed. Oh, I'm so with you on this. Uh, we've got to wrap up now. Last words. Last words are, you know, America provided my family an opportunity. And we didn't do anything special except for me, stay in school and study. I didn't know anybody, Bill. I wasn't politically connected. And as a matter of fact, when I ran my first race, I ran against the black establishment and I won. And here I am 22 years later, again, coming against the sort of establishment, I guess you could say, uh, you know, I was out of politics for 20 some years and I, nobody really asked me to run. I just thought I have a message and the message is education isn't working. Our children are failing and we've got to get them on the right path so that they can have a hope in the future. So let's not be down on America. She is our last and best hope. There is no other country to run to. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Winsome Myrtle Sears, uh, my fervent hope is the next governor of Virginia, but we can't talk about it until the actual election happens. But I think we've all, if you've been listening carefully, she's, she's, she's laid out a, an extraordinarily broad and deep vision about a, a great country and what we can do about it to, to turn it around and fix it. And so I'm thrilled to hear all this. Glad you were here. And if you like the show, uh, be sure to hit the like button. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe. And if you think you have friends, if you know you have friends would be interested in this, this kind of in-depth conversation, have them subscribe too. Uh, anyway, I hope you enjoyed this. I certainly did and hope to have you back with us again soon. And uh, perhaps we'll be talking with the governor, uh, Winsome Earl Sears, next time. Focused on 2023, though. <laughs> 2023. Okay, we got it. All right. Thanks.